Today's podcast is sponsored by Oaken Arts. Oaken Arts offers vintage Japanese fabrics for adventuresome sewists and quilters. The shop specializes in high-quality yukata cottons that are hand-dyed and traditionally used to make summer kimonos. The fabric patterns range from classic geometrics in indigo and white to bold lyrical motifs in vivid colors. Be sure to visit Oaken Arts when you're in Seattle or online at oakenarts.com. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 106 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a fabric company with my guest, Arvin Peravi. Arvin is the president and co-owner of Shannon Fabrics, a family-owned importer and distributor of plush fabrics. Arvin joined the company in 2000 to work with his father and has helped grow Shannon Fabrics from a small business to a team of more than 50 employees. Arvin is passionate about bringing new and unique fabrics to the industry and feels strongly about the need for education and training. In his free time, Arvin enjoys spending time with his family. And like the company's tagline, Arvin's passionate about making the world a softer place. Arvin Peravi, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us, for having me and the company. Sure. Um, so your family's been in the fabric business for what seems like a long time. Your, your grandfather, I guess, had a fabric business in Iran. Is that right? That is correct. And what kind of, what did he sell? Um, he had a retail fabric store. Okay. And it was just all different kinds of fabrics? Well, apparel fabrics, uh, which was uh, very commonly used for the cover-ups and for women's apparel. Um, and my father was also in the business uh, back in Iran, where he overtook his business as well. So it's like probably going back further, but as that's as long as I know, which is my grandfather. Okay. So it might, but it might've even been his father, possibly. Very possible. Very possible. That's really neat. Um, and so do you still have any of the, the fabrics that he sold? Oh no. I was, uh, I was a very young child. Mm -hmm. And when your parents came to this country, they were refugees. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. And what year was that? Well, we arrived to the U.S. in 1988, um, and we left Iran in 1987, and we lived for a year in Austria. Oh, wow. And so were you were a child? Yes, I was eight, nine years old. Okay. And what do you remember about coming to the United States at that time? Um, you know, it, it was a very... T uh, terrifying experience as a child to go through but the fact that there was a there was a land of promise for us to go to uh was reassuring and my uncles were already here and you know they were already established in their life mm -hmm. so they kind of helped us get here since they sponsored us and uh i've been very fortunate to be granted an american dream 
Mm-hmm. Truly. I mean, it's truly an American dream, Shannon Fabrics, which is really interesting to hear about. And can you just tell us a little bit about, for people who might not know, what the environment was like in Iran at that time and, and what made it so that your family had to leave? Well, there was a war going on between Iran and Iraq. And as a religious minority, um, being Jewish, um, all minorities were scrutinized and they were not allowed to live freely. So my parents made a decision that that's not a really good environment, along with a lot of other people who left as refugees. So it was a very terrifying, I mean, every day there would be sirens, bombs, you know, given, you know, a lot of heartache to a lot of people. And the fact that they had also the religious issue would also add to it. So it was just not a very good environment to raise a family. Right. Okay. And and so you, you arrived in California. And what was California like? I mean, it must have been so different. Well, we actually landed, yes, we did land in California, but we landed in Sacramento for about a year um, where my uncles lived. And uh, it was just beautiful, you know, just to see how freely people live and that it's no longer a dream. And I'm here, we're here, we're, now it's up to us to do what we need to do to maintain it or make it better. Right. And you were here with your brother um, and then your sister, Amy Shannon, was born in the United States after your family came and the company is named for her. That's correct. She she reminds me every time she sees me. (laughs) (laughs) Is she still, is she involved at all in the company or she have her own career? No, she's actually a CPA um, and works for a big accounting firm, but she is not involved in the business other than being, you know, the name being named after her. Okay. And your brother is also not involved, just you and your father. That's correct. Okay. All right. And so your father, you know, he knew the fabric business from having a retail fabric shop um, back in Iran. And so he came to California and um, got back into the fabric business. How did he, he raise, did he have some other jobs? How did he raise money to start a new, a new fabric shop? Well, you know, he was fortunate enough to have a little bit of money saved up prior to moving here. Um, and so he basically lived off of his savings for a little while. And then after about a year when we moved here, that's when he opened his first business. Okay. And here being in Los Angeles. Right. Okay. And that was a, a retail fabric shop and it was selling to the public and it was selling, was it all different kinds of fabrics or Actually, was there? At that time, oh, go ahead. Uh, yes, it was a retail slash wholesale fabric store. So there was a lot of manufacturing still going on in the U.S. and in L.A. specifically. This was back in 1989. And so they would sell both wholesale and retail. Um, and, uh, he did that with for about five, six years. And then that's when I, you know, came along like about five years after that. He had a, then he had a wholesale business for about five years. And then that's when I came in right after that. Okay. And that was all different sorts, though, of fabric. It wasn't the sort of focus on like a plush fabric or was it? No, mainly apparel fabrics. Okay. Mainly Okay. And so, um, so it sounds like, you know, in, in the late nineties, maybe business wasn't so hot right at the end of 99, 2000, when the markets were starting to crash after that first bubble, internet bubble and all of that. And, and you kind of decided to come on board and help when you were in college at that time. Uh, no, actually, uh, well, 
I was going to go back to college. I had taken a couple of years off and I was working in an electronics career. I was going to go back to college, but when this happened, I just, you know, took it upon myself to just step in and say, you know, I need to be there for my dad. Um, he actually, it wasn't that the market was bad. He lost a lot of money in, uh, the real, the stock market in the 1999, 2000 crash. So it was the first time that our financial well-being was in jeopardy. I see. So he had invested in, in things that didn't go well and you were working and came to work for him to help him out. Um, and so how did you guys pull through that? I mean, you must have changed direction to a certain degree or decided to, to expand or something. So how did you pull through that time? Well, I mean, there's no question that it was a very difficult and, uh, you know, testing period in our lives. Um, but one of the main reasons why we were able to pull through was uh, because of my dad. He had a reputation in the marketplace and we were able to, you know, borrow money basically through his relationship and his credit with people and to run a business and to grow a business. Okay. And did you expand the wholesale side at that time? Because right now, Shannon Fabrics in 2017 doesn't sell retail. Um, it's it's a wholesale distributor, importer and distributor. So was that shift something that took place fairly soon after that period? So in 2000, in July, it's been 17 years, just a couple of months ago, um, we opened the store. We opened a retail fabric store, which focused on retail and wholesale. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a unique environment being in the downtown jobber market. For those who have been here, they, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and I just wanted to do more with what we were doing. And I had a, a, you know, I just couldn't live just in that market. And we started doing more wholesale and more wholesale. Thank God we were able to grow a little wholesale business and a warehouse. And it started with, you know, basically one container. And that's when we first did our first import, uh, which was about 16 years ago through a friend of mine that I'm still in touch with today. And we do a lot of business together. Um, and, uh, one thing leads to another. And along the way you meet, you know, countless, uh, angels and really, I, I'm very blessed. I really feel today, as I sit here, um, very fortunate and very blessed to have been able to connect with so many people at such a high level and to really, you know, be able to take advantage of those relationships. Right. So um, it sounds like, you know, and everything was sort of pushing offshore at this time, but um, it sounds like the fabrics that you were buying previously were manufactured in the United States. And then you began importing fabrics from overseas. And that sort of helped to pave the way for being able to wholesale, I'm imagining. And is that at some point you found this plush polyester fabric that is now known as Cuddle, which is sort of your premier, one of your premier fabrics. And um, was were you on a buying trip somewhere or how did you come across this new substrate that's so soft and easy to sew with as well? Well, you know, um, I'll back up a little bit for you and tell you, it was actually exactly what you said about um, so we were buying domestically from a company called Monterey Mills. Uh, we were buying some plush fabrics and 
through a contact through there, I was introduced to my friend today who we imported the first container from. And he came to us and said, we have made in China first. And they're softer, they're nicer. And that's what we started importing first was first, the, the acrylic faux furs. And then about a few years later, I was in the marketplace in Korea and I ran across some fabrics. And at first I was hesitant because the price was, you know, in my opinion, was a little high at the time in the beginning, but there was no market yet for it. And so I kind of at first was, was resistant, but about six months later, the factory guy that we worked with suggested that we would order just a small amount to see how it would go. And so I said, okay, we'll order like six colors. We'll do white, baby pink, baby blue, lavender, yellow, and mint, which were the baby colors. And we'll do it in the dimple. And today that cuddle dimple product that we tried in six colors is 96 colors and growing. It's going to actually 104 this, uh, for quilt market this year. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, what's done with this fabric today. That's fascinating. So this, this fabric that you encountered, it, it was different in some ways than what the market already carried, like what was already available to, to consumers in the United States. So describe a little bit about why it was different or sort of what you noticed about it that you thought, okay, we'll try it. This is interesting. Well, um, it was just, a microfiber. It was just softer. I mean, we had carried an item called Valboa, which we called soft fur. And that was a short pile, three millimeter, you know, kind of like a skin almost, let's say. Um, they did them in animal prints and all sorts of designs. And at that time, that's what we carried, but it was half the cost in terms of, you know, buying it. And some of this product was already kind of in the marketplace, just dibble and dabbles here and there. Uh, but no one had really stepped in and done it in a major way. Um, so when I saw it, I mean, it, it's just the newness of it. And for me at that time, I mean, this was going back, you know, almost 14, 15 years. You know, it was just a, not a very stable time of the period, the business for me. So taking a risk on a new item that I knew very little about had to be very small and calculated. Mm -hmm. And it, that's why, it, it, you know, it. It just was a new thing to me, and and it, thank God the agent was able to talk to talk us into ordering it. Right, and so um, so the reaction must have been positive right from the start. Right, I mean this this fabric cuddle that we're talking about, the dimple cuddle, the backing of it. First of all, to me, when I saw with it, really strikingly different from maybe a minky fabric or something that you might think, oh, it's the same and it's less money, so I'll just buy this other one. But the edges curl on the other one, and it stretches in both directions. It's really difficult to sew with. Whereas cuddle is is easy to sew with and it doesn't have those issues. So the, the price is so well worth it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, I'm a firm believer that you get what you pay for. And, you know, for those people who want the cheaper product and they're content with the outcome, God bless you. You know, I mean, I think there, this is a beauty of, of our marketplace today. There, there are different types of products, but you know, one of the things is, and we you touched up on this in the bio is that I'm passionate about education. And, and you know what? I believe that we have such an enormous opportunity as Shannon Fabrics 
to spread the goodness because a lot of people don't know about our product and how easily it could work in your projects and how beautifully it turns out. And that is why we've started this brand ambassador program, which basically is going to spread the word. I mean, we're not going to be able to reach everyone, but we're definitely going to be able to reach more people than we were before. Right. And brand ambassadors are people who are trained by you to be able to teach classes and demonstrate products and projects in their local shops um, on behalf of the company. Just to be clear what that is. Um, Okay. So at what point did you decide that we could shut down the retail shop in Los Angeles and just be a wholesaler? Um, This happened probably, I mean, in my mind, it, well, it actually happened in 2007, but it could have happened a couple of years earlier. However, my father was the one running the retail. So, so it did happen about 10 years ago. Okay. And, and is he still, this is your father is, is Ibrahim. And is he still involved in the company? He comes into the office and still working? Absolutely. He's here every day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you made this shift and sort of went all in on Cuddle. And tell us a little bit about some of the other substrates that you expanded out to after this Cuddle Timble was successful. So uh, in the Cuddle category, um, we came out with numerous, numerous uh, different collections. And today the category is about 900 SKUs. Um but we still do our faux furs, which were the primary product we started with. And recently, in the last three years, we've added another substrate, which is called Embrace, which is the uh, cotton double gauze, um, which I'm very proud of. And it's really a great product. And it gives us a lot of versatility in our product line. And so that's been very well received. And then going forward, you know, we we focus on one thing is to bring products that there is a void of in the market um, and that we could do a really good job with. Okay. So is it those two guiding principles when you're looking, because I'm sure you, you travel and see a lot of different fabric substrates, for example, that you could begin to carry. And it's so hard to know, okay, which of these is going to be the, the next hot thing, you know? Um, so yeah. is, are those the guiding principles or what are the guiding principles when you're evaluating that and having to make, as you said, a risky decision business-wise to say, we're going to invest in this one? You know, luckily you get better with time on that one. And <laughs> in the beginning it was tough, but you know, you, you get a, a good sense for it once you've done it for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we just... Any product that we add into our marketplace and in our business, you know, goes through a lot of brainstorming and on the principles that will this be a value to our customers? Will this make a difference in their current sewing life? And is there a need for this in the market? I want to take a minute now to talk to Patricia Bellier of Oaken Arts, the sponsor of today's episode. I'm Patricia Bellier of Oaken Arts in Seattle. And Patricia, I know that you import vintage fabric from Japan and it is absolutely gorgeous. I've been able to play with a little bit of it myself. And I also hear that you have a new book out, which is exciting. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, great. My book's called The East Meets West Quilts, 
and it's releasing on October 17th in a couple of weeks. And it's about improv quilting with Japanese fabrics and Japanese inspired fabrics. So for people who've been interested in tiptoeing into improv, it's a great way to go with some pretty exciting fabrics to add an extra touch to the project. Nice. And um, what kinds, I mean, what kinds of projects? Is it all quilts? And how many projects are in the book? There's um, 14 main projects, and they're all quilts. And they all follow one simple manifesto to get people started. But the fifth rule of the five rule manifesto is break any rule that you want, so that it opens the doors to variations and possibilities, which is what improv is all about. Right. So you're doing improv with these Japanese fabrics. Is that right? Is that how the book, the book is sort of based on using these motifs? Oh yes, absolutely. It's all improv. And, and so although I've got quilts for people to follow, their quilts won't look like mine because they've got their own ways that they're going to bring something to the project. Absolutely. So neat. Um, So tell us the title one more time. It's East Meets West Quilts, Explore Improv with Japanese-Inspired Designs. And um, I hear you're going to be traveling to Houston in just a few weeks. Yes, I'm a Houston newbie. I'll be there for all of market, and I'll be there for the first day of festival to meet with people who are interested in quilting. Excellent. So um, be sure to seek you out and connect with you there. And thank you so much, Patricia. Okay, thanks, Abby. And now back to my conversation with Arvin. You know, I, I believe that the marketplace, one of the biggest problems is oversaturation. And today in our space, there's a lot of oversaturation going on. Um, and if, if you're going after areas where there's a void or there's a potential, that's when you could have the biggest results. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about that actually, because I think it's really interesting, the story of how you sort of, I'm not sure if it's a pivot or or just an entrance into kind of the, the quilting world or the world of the of mar- the market for quilters. And it sounds like you met um, Julie Olds, who was at that time a buyer at Fabric Depot in Portland, and she turned you on to Quilt Market. Correct. So tell us a little bit about meeting her and what she saw, what she said to you. Wow. Um Julie, I've had the pleasure of knowing for, let's see, maybe about 14 years. And uh, we were a vendor to uh, Fabric Depot selling the faux furs to them. And uh, at this time, we had a full line of about six, five, maybe 400 skews of cuddle. And she wouldn't buy the cuddle from us yet. But she kept on pushing and saying, you need to take this to quilt market. I said, you know, Julie, really, I'm not, I'm not really looking to sell 10 yard cuts of things. You know, we're a wholesaler. We sell, you know, to manufacturing. Um, it's just, I don't think it's my place. Plus it's all cotton. You know, people are not really, there is not a lot of need. There's no market for polyester here. She said, just trust me and just go. And listen, I, really value Julie's advice. And I said, you know what? It will only cost me the booth fee, a ticket and a hotel room for a couple of nights. And I'm willing to invest that couple of thousand dollars to go see if there is really something there. 
So I went and we had a little 10 by 10 booth and uh, we put up the fabrics. I put up a couple of signs sales reps wanted. And, you know, we had a really good show. Um, Not in my expectation. It blew my expectation. I mean, we, we had a lot of engaging connections. We did write some orders to cover our cost. It just was uh, the beginning. And that was in May of 2005 in Minneapolis. Okay. So, um, this is kind of, yeah, it's kind of significant and interesting. I, I like, you know, to hear about your sort of arguments against going like, you know, there's no polyester. Uh, there's no, no, everyone's selling oh, cottons. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, like these are, you know, if you're, if you're wholesaling to a, to a, a big business, that's going to be ordering thousands of yards for, you know, a product line that they're creating or something. It's really different from wholesaling to a local quilt shop who may be ordering a bolt or two or, you know, 10 bolts or something like that, right. just much, much smaller, very different scale. Um, so I can totally see how you were like, what? That's not for me. Well, and I tell you, the funny thing is about two years later, we were in Pittsburgh. Um, maybe it was three years later. And uh, at this time, we had a, a little bigger booth. We had a t- 20 by 20 booth. So we had grown up a little bit. And I wrote the biggest order that I had ever written with one store, or actually with one company who had four, who has four stores. And it was all in 10 yard cuts. It was a $76,000 order on 10 yard cuts. And I called Julie on the phone that right the minute the appointment finished. And I said, Julie, I just wanted to say thank you again for pushing me to get into the quilt business. I would have never in my wildest imagination thought that I could one day write a $75,000 order with one customer in 10 yard cuts. Yeah. And, you know, right. This is like a DIY business, right? People are buying the raw materials to be able to make things with the fabric and they're used to paying a premium for fine fabrics, right? They want the premier cottons and there's no one selling polyesters. There's no one selling this super soft plush fabric besides Shannon Fabrics. I mean, when you go to quilt market, it's, you know, it's strikingly different. It's super soft there's all these stuffed animals and, you know, poofs and super soft textures when you go to the Shannon booth. It's amazing what could be created from our wonderful fabric. You know, honestly, I've had the, the pleasure to get close to people like Gail Camargo, Pat Woodscow. These are the two first designers who really, really opened my horizons to cuddle and what can be done with it. And because I'm not a sewer, I've never been behind a sewing machine. That's, you know, as, as bad as that might sound, but these women are so talented. They are so amazing and so loyal to our company and our product that I'm just very fortunate for that. And then you met Ken Kaufman um, from Kaufman Fabrics um, and worked on a licensing agreement with him. So talk a little bit about meeting him and, and how that relationship evolved. Well, once again, Julie Olds um, was the connector and the reason for, you know, this happening. And I ch- kid with Judy, Julie all the time. You know, she now works for us as our general manager. And I tell her, 
you know, you've been working for us for a long, far longer than four years because you've been basically guiding me for the last 15 years and we get a good chuckle out of it. But yes, what through, um, when quilt market was in Portland, Julie introduced me to Ken because I had told Julie about the idea of doing a licensed line of prints. And so she said, there's no other, there's no better person in the industry to work with than the Kaufman's. And I, at that time really had no knowledge extensively of Kaufman. I'd seen them around the industry and I had, you know, had very high regards for them, but didn't have a connection yet. So she introduced me and, you know, we talked and I met with Harvey as well, which, uh, I dearly love both of them. And we started a conversation. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now you license their designs on to plush fabrics, which is something that they don't produce and you get access to their gorgeous artwork. Yes. And we've, it's been going on for eight years since 2009. And really I could tell you in the quilting world, the business works with credibility and, you know, name recognition and the biggest value that we got other than the beautiful product line that we were able to design from this relationship was the fact that we who were kind of new to the quilting world, we were in the quilting world for four years, became a lot more credible by having a, a Robert Kaufman sign who's been around in business for seven, 60 some odd years. And it was a really a, that was the most pivotal point of the company, I would say, uh, company's life. Mm-hmm. Getting that um, legitimacy of of Kaufman lending their name to well, it's you. More than, it's more than legitimacy. It was just that, you know, quilters like to buy from brands that they know. Even if you have an amazing product line, they're very loyal to their brands. So Kaufman is probably the top two or three in the business, and they have a lot of loyal followers. So that brought over a lot of people who had walked by our booth and never stopped before because they didn't know who Shannon Fabrics was. Right. It makes any sense. Yeah. It's like that co-branding, you know, it's like a brand shake um, and it helps both parties. Absolutely. You know, it was, it's been beneficial to both of us. I could tell you that I've had this conversation with Ken and Harvey a couple of times, maybe a couple of dozen times that I appreciate what they've done for me and that Thank God that everyone's happy. And after eight years, you know what? We have nothing but good things to talk about. And, and it's helped both of us out in, in different ways. You know, we had pr- the media in our booth when we launched the Kaufman line, doing like all sorts of articles and this and that, because it, w- it had never been really happened in our industry. It was a new newness to it. Two fabric companies becoming a licensor and a licensee of each other is pretty unheard of. Hmm. That's a good point. And um, I'm wondering about the Missouri Star videos. There's been a few videos um, where you see, you know, Jenny demonstrating kits using Shannon uh, Fabrics as Jenny Doan at Missouri Star um, on her YouTube, very famous, popular YouTube station. So um, did that also help? I mean, was that also a significant turning point in a way? You know what, Uh, Jenny is amazing. She's got this following and it couldn't have happened to a better person, really. Um, she's, she's really helped us also spread. One of the videos that she posted 
It was a rag quilt. I think it had something like 300,000 hits or 400,000 hits on it. It was in our world and the quilting world. That's, that's a lot. And you know, it's just, she's just charming. She just attracts people towards her. Right. Yeah. And that's a, it's very good for your product if she features it in that way. She's, she's wonderful. And I was out there visiting with her and I, I told her, I, I stood next to her and I said, you know, Jenny, I need to take a photo with you. You're a legend in this business. You really (laughs) are. And we stood up, we were at that, that cafe in there, you know, on, on, on Hamilton, in Hamilton, uh, on the street, on Main Street. And she said she stood up and it was just an amazing moment. And as a matter of fact, I posted the picture or Ellen posted it on social media. And, you know, I live in LA, we see a lot of stars, but she's a celebrity in our industry. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So so where is Shannon Fabrics sold? Because I think this is also a kind of a big question when it comes to quilting fabric. We were talking earlier about oversaturation, which is definitely something that I hear a lot of fabric company owners and presidents talking about how much fabric now is on the market at any given time, how rapid these releases are and frequent. Oh my God, yes. And it can be overwhelming for shops. It's overwhelming for consumers. And, um, you know, the sort of question is what's going to happen. And anyway, so, so Right now, um, you know, if, if a quilter out there is hearing this and saying, oh, I want to try this out, where can they buy Shannon well, Fabrics? Our, the Shannon uh, Cuddle product is sold uh, at a couple of thousand online, I mean, uh, brick and mortar and online retailers. Uh, today, most stores have their websites. So there's probably a good like four or 500 online shops, including fabric.com. Um, and basically that's, and fabric stores, quilt shops, fabric stores, um, and online businesses. Now we do have a great tool for those listening. You could go to our website and have a store locator to find out where your local store is, and it will give you, um, the closest ones to you. Okay. So, so it is sold at all of these stores, but it's not sold at Joanne's. No, no, the. Shannon Fabrics is not sold. Not it's and what about at like a Spotlight in Australia, kind of a, a Joanne similar store there? No, we don't sell. We don't sell the Shannon Fabrics brand of of products and cuddle and faux furs is not sold to any big box stores except Fabric.com, which I always find interesting because Fabric.com is owned by Amazon and is arguably a big box store without a store. Yeah. Yeah, it it is a big box store, but if you look at it that way, but they are a online business. Yeah. It's interesting how, I'm not so sure the right word is to say they get a pass, but it's, I don't know, it's it's like selling to them. And some of these online stores also, I mean, Missouri Star being one of them, is they are able to place really huge orders. You know, Um, I, I... I do want to step in here and I, and I I agree with you a hundred percent. It could be very threatening because they're a large company, right? But they're an online store. And I think the industry had a knee jerk reaction to them about five years ago. And it was a big topic of discussion. Which one are we talking about now? This is about fabric.com. Okay. Yes. And you know, and the industry had a, this decisive point and you know, although a lot of vendors considered, 
questioning selling to them. As an industry, everyone decided independently that, and some people maybe didn't, but most people decided that there was enough room in the market for them and the quilt shops. More importantly, I think they are different than your quilt shops. Quilt shops are creative centers. Quilt shops are hobby centers. Quilt shops are where people who want to make something amazing and be part of something amazing are, are that's what they're about. And that's why they're never going to go away. Now, you know, the, the manner in which people acquire things is changing today. And there is no question that there's a new retail landscape. But I believe that if you bring enough goodness to your store, and if you put enough heart into what you do, and if you're truly passionate about the quilting industry, you will do just fine. As we've seen hundreds of stores, our customers, who are doing very well and their sales continually grow with us. Continually. I mean, we're talking about stores that are doing 10 times the volume today than they did five years ago. I think, thank you for sharing that perspective. I mean, I think that that's an important thing to say for sure. And an important thing to hear from you. And um, if somebody is listening who has a small business, maybe an Etsy shop or a small online uh, fabric shop and would like to begin selling some of what Shannon offers. Um, I feel like the minimum is, is pretty reasonable. Do you want to talk a little bit about how they can start doing that? Yeah, I think, you know, look, the main requirement for us is you have to have, you have to be a business. You have to be licensed in your state. You have to be able to provide documents. And if you do, you know, we'll, we have a, pretty reasonable minimums. I, I've, I'm not sure if it's like 600 or $750 to open an account. And then, you know, reorders are, there's a, there's a set limit for those, but we're very reasonable. We want to push, look, we've seen businesses, manufacturing businesses grow from the garage into a couple of two, three, five million dollar businesses. And I am an entrepreneur through and through. So we want to make our products accessible. And we also have partners like, you know, for instance, Fabric People, great example. They are the biggest brick and mortar fabric store in the U.S. today. And they've carried our product for a long time, but they put our, you know, they used to, when they bought our first from us, they used to put our tag with our name, Shannon Fabrics. Most of our customers would not put that up because they're afraid of the wholesale people going directly to the source. And I once asked Julie and I said, you know, what's the purpose of you putting the tag with our name on the roll. I think that's, you know, taking business away. She goes, you know what? Yes, that's possibly true. But if a business is ready to grow up and if a business is ready to move forward and become a wholesaler or become a manufacturer and they're no longer out of the garage, they should be able to have access to you and get better prices. And at that point, I really, you know, gained a lot more respect for Fabric Depot and or Julie and the whole entire family who runs the business, because you know what? That's what the community and our industry needs more of. People who wanna share a lending hand to make dreams come true, to be the difference maker in someone. And I, because there has been people in my life who have been the difference makers. And, and for that, I'm grateful. And uh, 
you know. Right. So. And so there's this fine line is what you're saying between um, sort of keeping the threshold to begin um, wholesaling and selling fabric um, high enough to say, you know, only re- real retailers can get into doing this. There's a line between doing that and sort of putting like squashing entrepreneurship and saying, you know what, you you may not have all of that. You may not have all the capital to invest in lots and lots of bolts of this, but you're small and you're dedicated. And if we open it up to you at a lower threshold, maybe you'll grow into something great. And so um, lending people that, that, you know, sort of benefit of the doubt to say, you know, we're going to lower this threshold to get started um, and let's see what you can do. 17 years ago, I didn't have the money I needed to do what I do today, you know, and some there was a lot of people who were very kind to me and and saw the entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit in me. And, you know, and, and that's what it's all about. And, and one thing that I'm really lucky about is I have a really good judge of character as well. And, you know, I get to connect with people deeply, very quickly. And I, for some reason, I attract a lot of positive energy. And that, you know, it's priceless. You can't pay for that. And, and that's kind of, so I've, I've been there. I've sat across from customer who sits there, you know, going through the spiel that I used to go through when I was in their shoes. And I just feel them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's my honor, duty, and responsibility to be there for more people the same way people were there for me. Right, right. And do you want to talk a little bit, since you're talking sort of about your judge of character and um, positivity about the the culture, the company culture, Shannon. So when a company grows from being very small, family-owned business with maybe just family members as employees to 50 people, um, most of whom are not family members who are working for you in all different roles. Culture has to be something that you're really intentional about, you know, cultivating and monitoring and thinking through how you're going to shape it. So do you want to talk a little bit about the company culture, Shannon? You know, um, the Shannon culture, is, it's, it's almost like family, or it is family. I mean, people feel very connected to one another. From me to all the people, to, to camaraderie between coworkers. And we were just talking about this the, with Julie last night, actually, because it was 6.30 and I had to run out because we were going out to dinner. But there was still six people left at the office. And she said last, she said, it's amazing how we, it's not like we don't want to leave here. I mean, we, yes, we want to go to our home and our families, but we're not walk, waiting for the clock to strike five o'clock to leave. We're here because we really believe in what we're doing and we really love what we're doing. And yeah. that's what it's about. It's the family culture. It's that sense of belong that we all have with one another. Are there things that you do to sort of make that intentional, intentionally happen? I think most of that works subconsciously. Okay. It's the little things that you do. But yeah, you know what? We we look at all of our employees as part part of the puzzle and an important part of the puzzle. And we treat them with respect. I mean... 
just the same way they treat us with respect. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about um, about having so much fabric in stock. I think one of, I'm not exactly sure, but I think one of the frustrations that uh, fabric companies, or not fabric companies, but quilt shops can sometimes experience is, you know, they place an order and then they have to wait for a long while before the fabric that they ordered, not with Shannon, but with, you know, regular quilting cotton uh, comes in, or maybe it comes in wrong, or they didn't have everything from the order all at once ready. So they get partial shipment and then they have to wait for the rest and that kind of thing. And, um, and I know that one of the things that, um, that you pride yourself in is having a million yards of fabric in stock, which is like a huge proportion of the total amount of uh, of the selection that that you know you offer. So, you want to talk a little bit about sort of what the theory is behind that? Well, as a, as a business owner, um, I hate leaving money on the table. And when we first started, you know, one of the main pet peeves that I have is when I did business with people and they were out of stock on goods because as a store owner, you allocate space to your, to the vendor's product, especially a retail quilt shop. So if you're reordering a basic like black dimple, you expect it to be in stock. So we, we pride ourselves for shipping about 95% complete. And it's something that is non-negotiable to us. And, it, it, I think that it goes back to my philosophy of not wanting to leave any money on the table and making sure that I service the customers and so they have a good experience because it's got to be a win-win. Mm-hmm. And you just turned 40. Happy birthday. So much. Yes, I did. And, um, and your business is still, you know, owned, family-owned, and you have two children who are quite young, right? How old are they now? Um, they are four and six going on five and seven in about a month or two. Yeah. Okay. And do you hope for them that they will someday stay in the business, keep the business going, or do you intend at some point when you're ready to retire to sell it? You know what? I, I want them to do what they're happy with in life. And luckily this business has enough people in it that it could live on even without me today. Uh, so if we were, if I were to want to retire, I'm, I'm sure we, we can pass the baton to someone who's currently here to run it. But I want my kids to do what they're passionate about because I know that's the difference. Getting up in the morning and going to work and loving what you do makes life a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And in a way, um, you know, the business was there for you. Uh, you maybe, I'm not sure if you were reluctant when you came to help your father or, or you were, you know, excited, but it was there for you and you've become passionate about it, but maybe going in, you know, maybe that wasn't your intention at first when you were a teenager. That's, that's for sure. You know, about four years prior to joining, I took a one month leave of absence for, uh, from my job at the time to go and because my dad had asked me to come and help him. And so I took a month off. I went to work with him for a month and I said, I'm sorry, this business is not for me. And I left. What was it that was not for you at that time? Like, what were you noticing that you were like, oh, <laughs> it's just that jobber downtown LA fabric yeah. market. It's just not a pleasant environment. And it was just not for me. It's I didn't have the character that was required. So I said, you know what? I hope 
the best for you. I could help you mentally, but I can't do the business. And I left, I went back to my job. And when I came back, it wasn't because my dad had asked me. And as a matter of fact, my dad never after that day ever asked me to come back again. But I came back with one thing in mind, that failure was not an option and that I was going to do whatever it took to be able to provide for my family and my, help my father who's, who had provided for me for 23 years. So, so that, that's kind of that's how I, it happened, really. So you came back in, and the environment was probably similar because his business hadn't really changed very much. But you were able to shift it into something that you did enjoy and that now clearly you have such a handle on and are really interested in and engaged with and excited about. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it's one small change at a time. Um, it's that trickle, you know, the, the drop of water into a pot effect. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, it's really amazing looking back to, your, to my humble beginnings in the industry because, I, first of all, I, I didn't understand the industry. Coming from an electronics background into fabric business is not exactly an easy transition. Right. There's a lot to learn. <laughs> There's, well, it's just a different marketplace. I mean, I tell you one thing, though, that that has been really the highlights. One of the highlights of my career for 17 years is the amount of amazing people in our industry. Really, there's so many good people in our industry. And it's also not just the business owners and the vendors, but just the quilters who, you know, are always ready to to help when there's a time, you know, there's people now making quilts for the hurricane victims and doing all kinds of goodness. I mean, there are some really amazing people within our world. I agree for sure. And, um, and what is coming up next for Shannon? Are, are there new substrates that are um, potentially percolating or anything else you can talk about yet that's coming up? I guess you'll have to wait and see when it happens. <laughs> No scoops, huh? Okay. As there's nothing right around the corner. There, look, you know, we're we're definitely planting some seeds. I'll I'll be the first to tell you. I believe that you know, in in today's business climate, there is two ways to go. You could either continue planting seeds, and so you could reap it, the reap the benefits in the next five to ten years, or you can contract, which is unfortunately. The way most people are going in our industry, um, and look, the fabric business is not going away. You know, people are still going to need to have the need to create and connect. Um, I think the key being connect, and they're just changing the manner in which they acquire, and the fabric business will be just fine. I think you're right, and um, it's thriving, and you know, the way that we're communicating about it is faster and more connected. And that does actually perhaps lead to more people being coming excited about it and more sales in the end. A hundred percent. I think, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that pretty good isn't good anymore. You've got to now be outstanding to stick out. Mm. And, and that's because there's constant, you know, 
constant pressure on businesses. There is constant, you know, everything you do is pretty much, there's a lot of transparency today. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of, of today's world, that if you have good intentions and you really are out to better the world, you know, the quilting world has been very, very good to me and my family. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I want to make sure it's, it's around to be the same for others and, and to continue to be it for me and the people who are not depending at this company on that industry. So, so the well-being of the industry is my top priority. That is 100% by far above and beyond everything that we talk about in, in our meetings, about new initiatives, about new, like you said, substrates. The first question I have for the, you know, which the first thing we talk about is, is this going to be a positive thing for the industry? Mm-hmm. In other words, is it going to get buyers excited? Is it going to get, um, you know, designers excited? And is it going to generate buzz and be something that people sort of come out of their houses and travel to their local shops to take a class on or something like that? A hundred percent. It's just, is it going to create excitement? Is it going to be impactful? I mean, the, the, the reality is any idea is as good as the desirability, you know? Right. And I know, um, I know that you're a fan of Tony Robbins and um, is there a particular, you know, book or speech or aphorism that he repeats uh, that that inspires you or that you you're fond of? You know, uh, the biggest thing I take from Tony Robbins is, is a wonderful inspiration in my life. Um, by the way, and we're it's undescribable, really. I'm, I I get very emotional when the topic comes up because he's had a very, very direct impact in my life. And one thing that he preaches is that basically you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whoever you want to be and you need to unleash the power. And as a matter of fact, we're sending five of our employees to Tony Robbins event in November. Five management level people are going together. Um, to the event called Unleash the Power Within, which I believe was a very positive experience for me and it will be very positive experience for the rest of the staff or team that is going. Okay, and um, do you recommend that people who maybe have not gone down the Tony Robbins path yet pick up one of his books and try it? Is there one that you like most or do you like them all? Well, you know, the... There's many, many books he has, and I've read maybe about four or five of them. But I would say start with going on YouTube and just watch a couple of his video clips. Okay. And then you will, you, you will understand if it's for you or not, because it's not for everyone. This is like a motivational sort of... Oh, I hate that phrase, oh, motivational. <laughs> yeah, because it has such a negative connotation. It's mm-hmm. more like a life coach. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and we all... Look, no matter how amazing and great we are, we all have moments of weakness. We all have doubts. We all have fear. We are all human. And and we also have certain needs. We have a need to connect with people. We have a need to be loved. And we have a need to be significant and relevant. And, and with those in mind, some people want to go on and, and find more about that and want to connect deeper with themselves. 
And people are, some people are content not having all of that. So, and if you're content with not having that, that's wonderful. But if you want more, he's a great source. I mean, I'm telling you, the guy is unbelievable. And you speak fluent Farsi, and I've heard that Persian and Iranian food is really, really good. So I'm wondering if you have a particular dish or something that you like eating this time of year. I, I do speak Farsi, and there is the, the cuisine is very delicious. And if you've never had it, I recommend you trying it. Uh, it's a very Mediterranean type of cuisine, so there's a lot of meats and a lot of you know, a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables that are in everything. And, and I would recommend if you've never had Persian food, what I would say is just try it. But my favorite is uh, what's called Gorme Sabzi, which actually it's Gourmet Sabzi, which is Sabzi is just greens, like basil, mint, that type of greenery. And it's made into like a soup with meat. Mm. And it's really, really delicious. I've never had that. That does sound really delicious. And um, I wanted to see if you had anything else you wanted to recommend to listeners before we wrap up. You know, I, uh, I think you've covered a lot of amazing things. I want to thank you for the opportunity um, to be on your show. I know that, uh, you know, when Ellen suggested if I would like to do it, I was blown away. And I, I was very, uh, kind of like I wasn't expecting it, but when I went on your blog and listened to a couple of the interviews, I said, definitely, I, I do want to do it. And I think it'll be amazing. And I want to thank you for what you've done, um, and your contributions. Oh, here. thank you very much. Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. And, um, thank you for taking the time to be on the Washington apps podcast. It was great. And I learned so much about Shannon fabric. So hopefully we'll get a chance to touch base in person sometime soon. And I know you'll be at quilt market. So if people are there, they can come and, um, take a look at the booth and check out the products. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thanks. And you've been listening to the Walshie Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshienaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by Oaken Arts. Oaken Arts offers vintage Japanese fabrics, especially high-quality yukata cottons for adventuresome sewists and quilters. Be sure to visit Okanart's unique fabric shop when you're in Seattle or online at okanarts.com. Thank you so much, Okanarts. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>